welcome to Concerning CAMS, brought to you by Education Pathways. I'm Kevin Connickney, your host. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's get started. Our topic today is alcohol, food, and beverage, addressing the challenges. I have the pleasure to be here today with attorney Richard DeBost. Richard is partner with the law firm of Godia Damsic, DeBost, and Cross. Welcome, Richard, to Concerning CAMS, and could you please begin by telling us a bit about your background? Sure. Uh, Richard DeBost. I'm at the law firm of Godia Damsic, DeBost, and Cross. We're a full-service law firm with a large primary practice in the area of community association law, and that's all I've practiced uh, for 27 years now is representing community associations in Florida. As we get started today, what are some mistakes associations make with regard to alcohol on the premise of an association? Okay, that that is a, a very good topic because it's every community has issues with alcohol in the sense of providing alcohol, uh, pro- promoting groups that provide alcohol, accepting money on an official basis from homeowners to to buy alcohol for community events, using association funds to buy alcohol for community association events. All of those are common, it's social, but they have very large legal ramifications, not only by serving alcohol without a liquor license, but also a very significant risk of the liability if someone should leave an event and get into a an accident, um, and then they determine the lawyer that they hire finds out, well, you were intoxicated. Where did you get it? Oh, I got it at the, uh, the uh, St. Patrick's Day party that the association put on. They provided free beer. All of those are fraught with with significant liability for associations that is often overlooked because everyone's just out to have a good time and no one's really doing anything wrong. But as an association, it creates a, a larger degree of risk than it should. And there are certain precautions you can take to to try to avoid that. And you should. So, I, you know, I've been in my own condo to, you know, the Christmas party and there's a big cooler and uh, I might bring, you know, three or four beers and put it in there. Um, what are some of the challenges with setting something up like that where I guess maybe even a minor could come and take the alcohol? Okay, well, number one, and this is this is the number one rule that an association follow should should follow. And it, it's not illegal to have a social event on the community property where alcohol is consumed. That's not illegal. Number one, it always must be BYOB. Bring your own beer, bring your own alcohol. The association should not pay for the alcohol. The association should not provide the alcohol. The association should not take any kind of donation or any kind of consideration to provide the alcohol. The alcohol should be provided by the individual if they want to bring it and put it in the cooler. That's fine. I think if alcohol is served at any time on the community association property, um, not only the board, but the other adults, uh, just out of moral responsibility and legal responsibility on the association side, if you see minors consuming the alcohol, that needs to stop for, for several reasons. But on the association side, you know, they should strictly have a rule prohibiting any, you know, minors consuming alcohol uh, at any community association event. Okay. I've seen association events where um, there's a thank you note that goes up to the Smith family who's, you know, sponsoring the, the monthly get together. And the Smith family may, you know, provide the wine and, and, and snacks. What kind of risks are associated with something like that? Well, again, as long as the association is not paying for it or providing it, that reduces the association's liability. 
Now, the Smith family uh, might want to consider whether they're, you know, that legally is a good idea for them to do. Um, uh, you know, I, I, my concern is really the association sure. the most. So I, as long as the association is not involved in providing it, um, I, I think, you know, that's where their concern is, you know, reduced. So what are some other things that associations need to think about with regard to alcohol? Uh, liquor license. Okay. The liquor license rules, um, are, are not invoked, um, uh, a lot against community associations because the alcohol and tobacco arm of the state of Florida does not necessarily go out searching for violations, but if a violation is brought to their attention, they will certainly, uh, investigate it. And I've had situations where the association was sponsoring an event, the association, uh, had alcohol at the, at the event uh, and while they weren't like, give me a dollar, I'll give you a beer. There was the, their, their little deal was that they $5 gets you in the door and it's all the corned beef and cabbage and beer you can drink. And they got, uh, um, you know, turned into alcohol and tobacco and they did not have a liquor license. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now you can get a temporary liquor license. So if the association really wanted to sponsor an event, and in a proper way, um, didn't make it BYOB. If there is a legal way to do that, they have to have a liquor license and you can get a temporary liquor license. I don't know all the parameters of that, but that's where associations can get into trouble. Um, a, a, a side note to that is when I dealt with that with this community that had the alcohol and tobacco people, and you know, I kind of learned a lot here, um, the investigator told me that, for example, when you go to the spa or the nail salon, and they might say, while you're waiting, we'll give you a glass of wine um, and, you know, just to sit and wait until your turn comes up. That's actually illegal. They mm-hmm. need a liquor license because they're providing alcohol. So when you provide alcohol to someone, we go back to that uh, the idea of the Smith family providing the alcohol. I'm not sure, but they potentially might have needed a liquor license, a temporary liquor license. So, uh, you know, again, BYOB is the safest way to go. If a group of guys want to pool their money and and um, you know individuals in the community and bring it and they all get to share it, that's between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the association side, it's it's BYOB. On the food side of it, what issues might exist there? Are the associations responsible to make sure that they have proper cooking facilities, that there are sanitary conditions? Is is there some liability there? Good question, and it, it happens all the time. Um, I'm not an expert on on that. Um, I think um, a good thing to do would be talk to your insurance agent because I believe your insurance policies might cover you know foodborne illnesses. There's probably a policy or a a rider or in 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 the insurance world probably an exclusion uh, for those things. But that if the association is going to provide the food, I think it would be very wise to talk to your insurance agent and say what do we need to do here, particularly in the area of COVID. I mean that's a whole another topic we could talk about. But I think it raises the same kind of issue of uh, if the food is here's the bottom line if someone gets sick or someone gets intoxicated and has a problem and they get a lawyer, the lawyer's going to investigate, well, where were you and where did you get the food and where was the alcohol? And even if the association has done everything right, 
the lawyer on the other side is going to look to the association as a deep pocket with a big insurance policy. And if even if it's not legitimate, if they can bring the association into the dispute and say, well, you provided the hamburgers and uh, my client got salmonella, uh, they're going to come after you. So, you know, unfortunately, in this litigious world, that's just the way it works. So number one, make sure you've got a good insurance policy and and follow the parameters there. Uh, uh, But at a certain level, you're going to be brought into it. But, you know, you can't have a community that has no fun and no social events. Mm -hmm. So I think the risk reward, um, as long as you take reasonable precautions and you have insurance and you follow the laws, uh, you might get dragged into a lawsuit or two. But, you know, is is that a risk you want to avoid to the point of no events at all? No. I mean, we can't live like that in society. So associations just have to be careful in that regard. Okay. Do people sometimes hire a catering company that might be able to get a liquor license? That's yes, and that's a great great point. If if you hire a licensed catering company, and again, I'm not an expert in this area, but I'm sure you would you would look at their license, you would look at their liability insurance and that certainly would help to um push the liability off from directly being the association to that company. So if the association got into it, they could then go back to the catering company and say, well, you provided the shrimp and it was old and everybody got sick. Uh, so that's a good, good precaution. Some associations have restaurants or bars on property. Um, what are some of the things that they need to think about uh, as they're monitoring the activity of the managers that they have in place there? Uh, that's a good question because just because it's in a community association doesn't necessarily change the fact that if you have a licensed bar to serve alcohol and people are at the bar and paying for alcohol, it's it's no different than the bar down the street. And while, again, I'm not an expert in this area, I know that uh, bartenders need to be, um, and I'm sure that they are trained, but you need to emphasize to your managers, um, your bar managers and your bar waitstaff and things that uh, uh, there is ramifications that if you continue to serve someone who is obviously inebriated and they get into um, a a problem later, that can create liability back on the bar owner. And in this case, that would be the association. So you're going to want to make sure that if you have a properly licensed uh, liquor establishment on site that... um, uh, you know, they follow all of the same rules that any big bar down the street would follow as far as not uh, not serving intoxicated people um, uh, to avoid liability. And I'm assuming that insurance coverage needs to be updated accordingly. That's a great question. If you have a properly licensed liquor establishment, I, I'm almost positive, but you'd want to check with your insurance agency. I'm not sure that your standard liability insurance policy for your association would cover that. So you need to alert your insurance agent that, hey, we have this bar where we serve alcohol, and I'm I'm positive there's a special rider or an extra type of policy to cover you. You're going to definitely want to get that to make sure that it's current and up to date so to avoid any uh, any problems. Because your general liability insurance policy, I'm quite confident, is not going to cover serving alcohol on the community property. Uh, one other thing um, I'd like to mention, this comes up a lot. Um, uh, communities have large clubhouses, okay? And people that live in the community will say, can I rent the clubhouse out for a baby shower or a wedding reception? This is very common, and most associations will accommodate it, and it's certainly legal to do. But what's important is um, 
you, you talk to your legal counsel and you develop a form. We, in our, in our practice, we use a license agreement, which is a temporary right to use a particular part of the property. You can build into that license agreement all kinds of things, like a security deposit for damage. You can build in um, you know, the hours and all of these things. But one of the important parts of that policy is, do you want to allow alcohol to be served at a private function on your property? That's completely within the board's discretion. The board could adopt a rule that says, we'll rent the clubhouse out to people for private use for temporary periods of time, but we're not going to allow alcohol. Now, most associations don't do that because people want alcohol at these social events. So a very important part of this agreement is a indemnification clause, a disclaimer, and a waiver of liability that basically says... If the homeowner chooses to serve alcohol, they are responsible, as you mentioned before, to monitor the use by minors, uh, that they're completely responsible, that they are indemnifying the association, which means if someone gets drunk at their private event the and they decide to sue the association, the individual that rented the, the, the area will indemnify the association, which means cover their defense costs. Now, again, all of that is great, and all of that is something you should definitely have, to protect you, but indemnification clauses and waivers and of liability are not an absolute shield. So the bottom line is, even if someone, you've properly given them the permission to use that area of the community, but you see that they're not following any of the rules, they're letting, you know, there's a bunch of teenagers in there drinking and the, the, the board president walks by and sees the event, you, you can't just say, oh, well, we're covered because we made them sign an agreement. You did, and that's going to help. But if you see an open and obvious violation of the agreement terms that you rented the place to them for, you, you need to say, hey, wait a minute, you, you got kids here drinking beer. You, you, your agreement said you can't do it. So you can't just put your head in the sand and think, well, they signed everything. I'm not saying go spy on the event, but if, you're, if it's brought to your attention that they're violating these restrictions, you need to enforce the terms of the agreement, which might be you know, no, no alcohol to minors would be a, an important part of it. Is this the concept of a duty to act? Yeah, uh, more or less. I mean, that's a general, that's a good question. Uh, uh, the the board has a duty to act when it sees a violation. And that's a whole topic we could talk about on another podcast about the board's duty to enforce the rules. So you can't just say, well, you know, we don't want to enforce that rule. And if the rule is no alcohol at the event and you see it, and that's what the agreement is, you, you need to enforce it. So yes. Richard, thank you for joining us today and concerning CAMS to walk us through alcohol, food, and beverage, addressing the challenges. If listeners have additional questions, how can they best reach you or your associates at the law firm of Godia Damsick to boast and cross? Uh, the easiest way is just go on the web, G-A-D-C-Law, G-A-D-C-L-A-W.com. Uh, we have a free uh, portal where you can ask questions or make inquiries. We also have a lot of free information on there and a lot of uh, webinars that they can look at. So uh, we're here to help and um, uh, good luck. Thank you, Richard. We'll be sure to include this contact information in the episode notes for this podcast.